You probably never imagined the apostles dancing to the jailhouse rock, but Acts chapter 5, verse 17 through 28, definitely is a jailhouse rock type of passage. So if you want to stand with me and follow along, either as I read up on the screen, or if you want to follow along with your Bible, please do. Provoked mightily by all this, the chief priest and those on his side, mainly the sect of Sadducees, went into action, arrested the apostles, and put them in the town jail. But during the night, an angel of God opened the jailhouse door and led them out. He said, go to the temple, take your stand. Tell the people everything there is to say about this life. Promptly obedient, they entered the temple at daybreak and went on with their teaching. Meanwhile, the chief priest and his cronies convened the high council, the Sanhedrin, Israel's senate, and sent to the jail to have the prisoners brought in. When the police got there, they couldn't find them anywhere in the jail. They went back and reported, We found the jail locked tight as a drum and the guards posted at the doors, but when we went inside, we didn't find a soul. The chief of the temple police and the high priest were puzzled. What's going on here anyway? Just then someone showed up and said, Did you know that the men you put in jail are back in the temple teaching the people? The chief and his police went and got them. But they handled them gently, fearful that the people would not, would, would not uh, recognize what they're doing and turn on them, bringing, bringing them back. They stood them before the high council. And the chief priest said, didn't we give you strict orders not to teach in Jesus' name? And here you filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and they're trying, you're trying your best to blame us for the death of this man. Please have a seat. Now, I would say, you know, the next time that you're in jail and an angel shows up in the middle of the night and opens the jailhouse door and leads you out, I would say that's a jailhouse rock. You know, when the, the next morning when the police, you know, come to get you to take you in to the judge and they can't find you, but the doors are locked and the guards are there, I would say that's really, that's, that is a jailhouse rock. We found the, the jail locked tight, tight as a drum. And the guards posted at the doors, but we went inside and we didn't find a soul. So that jailhouse was rocked that night. And this great church that we've been talking about, a church that is great in power. Again, if an angel shows up and sets apostles free in the middle of the night and the door is left locked and the guards don't notice, that's great power. Power to rock a jailhouse. That's great power. The church that we're reading about in Acts is great because of this, this part of its great power. And then there's this great grace. It's this community of people that in spite of opposition, they continue to care for each other. They keep, keep showing up and doing what God has called them to do. That's great grace. And then there's great fear. There's great respect. When this passage says that the chief of the temple police and the policemen went to get them on the temple mound. 
They, were, they did that gently. Not, it's not just because the crowd that they're trying to appease, they also are thinking, something just happened. <laughs> these, these apostles are connected to a power source that gets them out of jail in the middle of the night. We possibly should be a little bit gentle in our treatment of these people. So these apostles in this church, in its infancy, they've got a message of life. It's a message. You can't keep that message in a jail. So that message of life, and it's provoking others to action. So you've got people that are outsiders, people that are observers, people that are looking at what's happening in Jerusalem and they're wary about joining them. They don't, yet, they don't know if they have courage enough to join them. They've been provoked to think deeper about faith and life and, and where do I stand in, in this story of God? But that's an action. They've been provoked by the message of life and they're worrying about it. What do we, what do, we do? Then you've got another group. They've been provoked to action because they're trusting. They're putting their faith. They're putting their trust in Jesus. Again, they are Jews who realize, oh, Jesus is our Messiah. Jesus is the king that Isaiah said would come. So we're going to trust him. And by trusting him, they're being added right and left. So people being provoked by the message of life to enter that life, to follow Jesus. And then you've got another crowd, the chief priest, his cronies, those on his side, sorry to say, but people are picking sides here. Are you for Jesus? Are you against Jesus? The sect of the Sadducees, and they went into action. So they're being provoked to act by this message as well. Now, the Sadducees, there's some things we should understand about them. In general terms, this is not everything that you will need to know about a Sadducee, but in general terms, they had religious duties. They were the sect that was given the assignment to maintain the temple. So the temple in Jerusalem was their domain. They were to to take care of the ministry of the temple. They presided over the three Jewish pilgrimage feasts. So Passover, and then Pentecost, and then the the, uh, celebration of the booths that comes in September. Those three pilgrimages where, where Jews were to come to the temple to celebrate, the Sadducees presided over those festivities. Some of the Sadducees were priests. Some of the Pharisees were priests. Some of the Essenes were priests. Not every Sadducee was a priest. Not every Pharisee was a priest. But those Sadducees that were priests, they would have offered sacrifice at the temple. They also had political duties. So they were both kind of a religious sect, and then they had political responsibilities. See, the Sadducees decided, we we can't rebel against Rome without being wiped out. 
So therefore, what, what, how can we get along with Rome? What, what can we do kind of to walk this, this tightrope of compromise between who we are as Israelis, Jews in our faith, and live best we can with the Romans? Because, man, they are the powers to be. So they, they kind of regulated relations with Rome. So they wanted things to be calm and peaceful. They were not, they didn't want things to get carried. They want too much attention on, on Israel. So, you know, Rome might come with force. They also, because they were in league with Rome, they were given the charge, you can collect taxes. And uh, Rome always said, you know, we want this percentage, but anything you can collect above that, it's yours. They also, because we see police in this passage, they're, they're given charge to equip and lead the army. Uh, Rome gave them kind of local jurisdiction uh, with a police force, an army force. And then in general, the Sadducees represented the upper social and economic echelon of Judea. And one of their beliefs is they did not believe in the resurrection and they did not believe uh, in life after death. This is it. You know, so just do, do the best you can in life, follow these rules in our faith, you die, you die. Well, if you understand that about the Sadducees, then as you see them provoked to action because of the message of life that the apostles are declaring, then you can understand they're arresting the apostles and putting them in jail because part of their political responsibility was to deal with those that they thought were insurrectionists. And they had the authority, they were ahead, the heads of the police. And then they, they convene the Sanhedrin, that means that's the Supreme Court. Again, that's part of their political responsibility. We, we need to bring these guys to trial. The chief of the temple police was answerable to the Sanhedrin because they were given charge to have an army. They were fearful of the people. I, I really think that the, you know, the Sadducees, they're just trying to play, you know, how, how do we appease people and keep things as calm as possible? How do we maintain the peace at all costs with Rome? So that, that's where that fits in there. And then these specific charges against the apostles. You, you all have, you've disobeyed our restraining order. You've done something at the temple which is our responsibility, and we've told you to stop it. And so again, can you see how, if you understand who they are, what they're called to do, how, how their actions kind of make sense, what, what's really happening is that there's this growing tension between the church and the Sadducees. And you can understand, you can appreciate it if you understand the church is meeting at the temple. And so now you've got 8,000 people meeting on the Temple Mound, which the Sadducees are charged to maintain. And they're kind of thinking, this is a very unique group that's meeting on the Temple Mound. They're not doing stuff the way that we kind of want things to be done on the Temple Mound. And hey, are they paying the Temple? Hey, does anybody, are they paying the Temple tax? And, and like, are they using our facilities and... And we got to take care of this place. And see, so understand that tension? Or you can understand that when the church explodes at Pentecost, 
I mean, here's the group that, I mean, they're, they're supposed to be in charge of Pentecost. And things are not in, they're not in their control. I mean, God showed up. And what do we do? Tension. You have the Sadducees just really, really working hard to maintain peace with Rome. And, and when Jesus is, is being, you know, given a criminal's death, which was kind of reserved for insurrectionists, then again, you just tension, tension, tension. Or the economic phenomena of the church. You know, you've got this, this sect of Sadducees who are, the, they represent the wealthy in Judea. And the wealthy are watching the lower class and the middle class suddenly do radical things like they're selling their houses and their fields and they're giving the proceeds away and they're all taking care of each other. What's that going to do to our economy? I mean, they're, it's just, they're just being like blown out of the water by what is happening. What's happening to our world? We're, we're losing control of the status quo. And then, the, I mean, the final, bam, the, the, the apostles, they have one message. It's one message. Jesus is alive. We're all witnesses to his resurrection. He did not die. He rose from the dead. He is Messiah. He is king. And, and, they're, and, they're, and the, the Sadducees, we don't believe that. We don't believe in the resurrection. So how can that be? So can you see how this, this mounting tension just builds and builds and builds and builds? But then in all of that tension, there's something that really gripped me. Because when, when the apostles are brought back to the Sanhedrin, these are the charges against the apostles. One, we gave you a restraining order. We told you no more ministry in Jerusalem in the name of Jesus. So why do you keep doing that? And they had the political muscle to back that up. That's why they could arrest them and try them. But the other thing is that you notice at the end of the paragraph, you are trying to blame us for the death of Jesus. You're trying to blame us for the death of Jesus. Now, what I want you to do, is that what the angel said when the angel came into the prison and said, hey guys, I'm getting you out tonight and I want you to go back to the temple. I want you to take your stand at the temple mound and I want you to give out a message of damnation. I want you to stand on the temple ground and I want you to tell those Sadducees they're going to hell because they murdered Jesus. Is that what the message of the apostles was? <coughs> the message was, I want you to go back to the temple, take your stand, and your message is to tell people everything there is to tell them about life. Life. It's not about death. It's about life. It's not about judgment. It's about forgiveness. Go tell them everything there is to tell them about life. And as the apostles proclaim that message of life, the religious are hearing a message of death. Think about that. Man, there is a conflict of interest that's both on the externals of what's going on, but it's within the soul of people. So the religious are saying, didn't we give you strict orders not to teach in the name of Jesus? And the apostles, well, 
You, you, I mean, you judge, but are we supposed to obey you or are we supposed to obey God? What, I mean, what's the highest authority here? I mean, you, I mean, you guys, you're the religious. You're the religious elite. Surely you know the answer to that. The angels, go, go to the temple. Take your stand. Keep preaching. The religious, here, here you, you filled Jerusalem with your teaching, you're trying your best to blame us for the death of the man. The angel said, tell the people everything there is to say about this life. Life. The apostles promptly obeyed. They entered the temple at daybreak and they went on with their teaching. Now where I think this touches us as a community of people with a heritage that we're celebrating as we read Acts. And I've got to ask us, are we provoking anyone in our cities to action with the message that we preach? Is anybody coming along with us? Because we provoke them to life, to choose Jesus. Come along with us. Is anybody mad at us? Because we've provoked them to kind of have a reaction against Jesus. I mean, like we talked about last week, have we provoked anybody thinking, man, I'm not sure I'm courageous enough to go with those people. I I think that's unheard of in our day. But if we, are we provoking anyone to action by who we are and what we represent and how we present it? Not, not just on Sundays, but every day of the week and everywhere we go. Is anybody in San Antonio, New Braunfels, San Marcos, the cities that we come from, is anybody being provoked to action because of the message? then that kind of led me in my thinking of, you know, do, 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 we share a, do we share a message of life or death? And I want you to really think about that for a moment. When we share the message of Jesus with others, do they feel like they are to blame for the death of Jesus? See, really, the question for me is... Do we have a message of salvation or do we have a message of condemnation? I know what the Bible says. I hope you know what the Bible says. But when people hear us, what do they hear and what do they feel? Because when it really comes down to it, who is to blame? Who is to blame for the death of Jesus? You ever thought about that? And I would think of things like this. There is none righteous. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. We have all fallen short of the glory of God. Therefore, when I go out with a message of forgiveness, I can say, you know what? I've met someone that saves us from our sin. I know someone that's an answer to life's most confounding issues. Would you like to come with me to follow him? 
Let me tell you my story. This is how I fell short of the glory of God. As someone reminded me in the earlier time, I am one beggar inviting another beggar to come have food from the one that gives bread. See, it's, a, it's really a heart, heart issue. You really look back, I mean, I, I know it seems a bit confusing. If you go back to Pentecost, it sounds like, you know, Peter is really preaching towards people. I mean, he is provoking people to change their mind about what's happening. And so you'll find some you statements in Acts 2. You, you all participated. In condemning Jesus, you all participated in his crucifixion. But if you spend some time, he's not blaming them. He's actually saying it's, it's, it's in the plan of God that Messiah would come and humans, regardless whether they be Jews or Gentiles, humans rejected him. So we are all to blame. All humans regardless of race, regardless of country, nationality, we are responsible because God did something for us that we couldn't do for ourselves. He sent someone perfect to pay the penalty of our sins. So my friends, are we telling others everything there is to say of this life? You know, I... Maybe it's just me, but as I, as I listen to us, not us, us sitting in this room, but us, universal, the church in this world, as I read about us in the newspaper, as I listen to some of the messages we give out on the radio, what, what I hear more often than not is, you all are sinners. You all are going to hell. You all are condemned. We're good. You're not. I hear a message of condemnation and damnation more than I hear the message of life. Maybe that's just me. I mean, maybe, maybe I'm just not listening to the right radio channel. I don't know. But this is what I know. When I listen to this radio channel, when I read this book, this book is talking about a message of forgiveness to everyone regardless of their sin. It's a message of life. Come, follow Jesus and enter into life. Come, follow along. We're no better than anybody else. We, we may have started following Jesus before you, but man, we haven't arrived yet. So I'm just wondering, especially during this season where we remember the triumphal entry of the king into Jerusalem, where we remember the betrayal of the Messiah and his death on the cross for our sin, when we remember the resurrection. I wonder, could, could we like, could we just like commit ourselves to making sure we're sharing the message of life with the people around us? Could we invite the Holy Spirit maybe just kind of to put a check on our thoughts and our mouth so that when we start to judge others that we stop and realize judgment's already happened. The wrath of God fell on Jesus so that people could be forgiven 
Can we tell people about forgiveness? Can we tell people about life? The wonder of the resurrection? I wonder if we could go down that path. And I wonder if our voice would be loud enough to silence the other voices that many, many people hear with the message of death and damnation. Would you like to stand with me? Jesus, thank you so much that you rock the world by sending an angel into a prison cell. And thank you that your, your message through that angel to the apostles was go out and tell everyone everything there is to tell about life. Jesus, I ask that as we enter into this season of recognizing what you've done for us, just kind of the revelation of who, who you are as king, as Messiah, as anointed one. As the one sent from the Father to pay the penalty of our sin by dying on the cross, by being the resurrected one, the one that's alive. Lord, as we, as we reflect on that story, would, would there be some way that you could empower us to be the voice, the same voice that the apostles had of telling everyone everything there is about the life that we have found in Jesus. Lord, I pray that you would help us to overcome that, that whatever that thing is in us that is so quick to judge others, that, that tends towards self-righteousness, that tends to want to elevate ourselves over others, Lord, that wants to, to just to be the judge and the jury. Lord, would you, just, would you just put that to death in us? Would you put that to death in the church? May we get back to doing what you're doing on the pages of Scripture. You are declaring life, that there is life for all who trust Jesus. There is forgiveness for all who come to Jesus. Lord, would you get us back into the business of inviting people to come along with us into discovering forgiveness and life. Lord, would you please put an end to our condemnation, our damnation of others. May we get back to delivering your message. Lord, just stop our message. Let us deliver your message. Lord, thank you for what you've done for us. Lord, we all acknowledge before you, we have been like sheep going astray. And we know, oh Lord, that that tendency still is within us. Lord, we seek to go our own way. But Lord, thank you that you brought us to you. And thank you that you're our king. And thank you that we invite you to lead us each and every day. Lord, help us now to invite others to come along with us. Empower us by the Holy Spirit. Please silence. Please silence the voices that condemn others. And, and please increase the voice of those that declare life in the name of Jesus. Thank you for what you've done. Thank you for being alive. Make us fully alive in you. In your name we pray.